Welcome to I've Never Seen, a podcast where two friends, Stephen and Albert, talk about landmark films that either both of them or one of them have not seen. On this episode, it's a Halloween special, talking about The Blair Witch Project from 1999 and Les Dernes Reliques from 1955, or Dernes as it's most commonly called. The Blair Witch Project is a 1999 horror movie written, directed and edited by Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez. It's based on a supposedly true story of three student filmmakers, that's Sam Donoghue, Michael C. Williams and Josh Leonard, here played by themselves, who go on a hike in the Black Hills near Burkittsville, Maryland in 1994 in order to create a documentary about the local legend of the Blair Witch. The three disappear and the footage we see is supposedly recovered. This is all part of an elaborate marketing ploy to hide the fiction of the film as fact something that we'll get into in detail in the podcast. The film was developed from a 35-page screenplay, um, shot as 20 hours of footage, cut down to just 82 minutes. The estimated budget of before starting was 60000 which elevated to $500,000 with post-production edits. The film at the box office grossed $248.6 million, becoming a sensation, one of the most important and profitable horror movies of all time. This film is famous for its marketing, high blended fact and fiction, and for dividing audiences and critics. Diabolique is a 1955 thriller from famed French filmmaker Henri-Georges Clouseau behind such classics as The Wages of Fear, later remade by William Friedkin as Sorcerer. This film is adapted from a novel by Pierre Boileau and Thomas Narciac. The film went on to inspire Psycho, as the writer of that novel, Robert Bloch, stated that Le Diabolique was his all-time favourite horror movie. Reception at the time for Le Diabolique was very varied. It's now hailed as a masterpiece, but a lot of initial reviews, especially British reviews, commented on how horrid and cruel it was, though highlighted its cleverness. This horridness is probably the plot, which is about a pair of women who kill a man. One woman is his wife, the other his mistress. They stage it as an accident, and then suddenly, the body disappears. Well, I say suddenly, it takes place over the span of the movie and there are lots of twists and turns. It was the 10th highest grossing film of the year in France and it ends with this wonderful warning to not talk about it. To keep the mystery a secret. So why these two films? Well it's a Halloween special, they're both kind of horror but really they're both about audience manipulation. Both of these films weaponize what you think you saw against what you actually saw and also both are famed for their clever marketing and take advantage of the technology and realities of the time. Blair Witch relies on talking about it, the internet and everything around. It built because of word of mouth. Diabolique wants you to stay quiet, to say nothing and thus build its mystique. So without further ado, over to the podcast. So as you know from the introduction, we're talking about 1999's The Blair Witch Project, um, a film that I had seen before. Had you seen this before, Albert? Nope. Nope. And we're talking about 1955's Diabolique, or Le Diabolique, if we're going to use the French title. I don't know why. It's really weird to me that the English title uses a French word, but changes the name of the film. Yeah. No, I've seen, I think, like at least three titles for this film. Mm. I think the other one is The Devils, right? Yeah, because it is called The Devils. The Diabolique is The Devils. So this is our second time talking about The Devils. Yeah. But weirdly, this podcast is going to go up before our other podcast talking about The Devils. So now we've talked about The Devils Let's before. not call it The Devils, then. Let's call A it different Diabolique. Devils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not Ken Russell's The Devils. Man, if only it was. Um, this is Clouseau's um, Le Diabolique. Um, so... Oh, I don't know where to start with these movies, really. Um, actually, let's go for a bit of a background on Diabolique. Um, so, Cluzo, um, are you familiar with Cluzo at all? Um, only from, like, the Pink Panther, like, the Steve Martin film. <laughs> so, a different person, if you're familiar with. <laughs> Sorry. I know, that's not a very, I know that's not a very highbrow film reference, but um, that's my <laughs> only knowledge of, of the word, of, of the name Cluzo. That's, that's Cluzo. <laughs> Uh, anyway anyway um, yeah so Clouseau um, is sometimes known as the French Hitchcock um, a contemporary to Hitchcock um, made suspense movies and more um, and a precursor to the French New Wave and continued through the French New Wave um, and was kind of weirdly one of the inspirations for the French New Wave um, because he was part of the school of filmmaking that they were trying to go away from so Cahiers de Cinema who was um, staffed at that point by your Goddards and your Truffauts were very anti um, Clouseau because they saw him to be like too much of a traditionalist filmmaker. I mean, he's and, a, I'm know, sorry, I'm just going to break the right. Like, he's a traditionalist everything. The film is, is stodgy, like, and 
and weirdly regressive, well, incredibly regressive as fuck. Like, it's just so... I'm not surprised, is what I was... Uh, oh, man, I, I dis- okay, this is going to be interesting, because I disagree so much. Um, and so, um, Diabolique is a based on a novel that Hitchcock was trying to get the rights to, it turns out, and apparently Clouseau got them just before, um, and then Hitchcock went on to make Vertigo, um, which is based on a different novel by the same writer, and apparently he um, screened this film too, the writers of Vertigo to be like make a movie I want it to be like this um, and I, I think this is a superior film to Vertigo I'm, I like Hitchcock a lot but I'm not like a big Hitchcock stan um, and Vertigo is like a movie I don't particularly like um, because of the regre- regressive tendencies that you um, level against this movie um, so a quick quick plot of Diabolique then um, Diabolique is the I, I don't want to give too much away because like this is this is a purely plot movie it is a twisty turny um, plot boiler which is really, really fun so basically we set up in an introduction that's a bit too slow for my liking um, a schoolhouse where there is a schoolmaster that only has the school because of his wife his wife owns the school and now he does through marriage um, he has a mistress everyone knows about it the mistress is one of the school teachers and the mistress and the wife seem to start to become friends um, in a, a strange relationship that is strange to the viewer like mm, what's really going on here um, and then we find out that the mistress and the wife are planning to kill um, this principal. This principal is a misogynist. This principal is just like a horrible person. The first like twenty minutes of the movie make it clear this guy's not very nice. Like he is barely feeding the children in the school. He is really mean to his staff. He's a curmudgeon. He's horrible to his wife. He's abusive physically, emotionally, mentally, etc., etc. Um, so the way to get out of the marriage is to have him killed. So they hatch a plan to do a perfect murder, which is a very like Hitchcockian kind of like premise. You'll see that again in like Rope. I think Rope is the direct descendant of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, people said that Psycho kind of came out of this, but Rope seems to be very much more similar. Um, I don't know the dates on that. Maybe it was before. I don't think it was. Um, so they go off to this house in the country. It's set just outside Paris. So I think they go to the outskirts of Paris because um, they won't be near the Seine. Um, and they make him come to them by saying, we're going to divorce you when you come. And then they knock him out, supposedly, with uh, whiskey. Um, and she, the mistress, drowns him in the bathtub, which is hardcore. Um, and then they have to take the body back in an amazing sequence of let's get this body back to the school to make it look like he died in the school and died in the swimming pool. So they push him into the swimming pool, which is just terrific. And then they just wait for the body to be discovered. Yeah. And it's just not. Which is just, there's this lovely tense middle of just like, um, we need this body to get found. And they keep trying to find ways to make the body get found. And they eventually manage it to get like, okay, we've found an excuse that doesn't look suspicious to empty the pool. And they empty the pool. And what, Albert? He, he, he's not there. Wait. The body is gone. <laughs> and you're like, what? Which is was a really awesome like midway twist. And the film kind of like spirals out into this mystery where it's dealing with okay what actually happened and there are twists and twists and twists and it's kind of like it almost implies for a second that he's a ghost and he's haunting the house um and like but he's dead and then there's this really great bit where she actually kind of accidentally gets an inspector to start looking for it so you're like having this weird murder mystery in the background where you're kind of like rooting for the inspector not to work this thing out so it's nice to be rooting against like in a kind of like like Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca but not bad um, which is interesting because um, Hitchcock made Rebecca before this um, and then we find out that at the end twist of twists that this was all a ploy um, in a bit that's nicely telegraphed actually by one really cool scene where the doctors who come to because um, she the wife is slowly degrading due to this like her, her like nerves are just like fraying because she's like I cannot deal with the guilt of what I've done um, and also I don't know what is going on. And it turns out that it was a very like yellow wallpaper style psychological torture um, to kill her, to get her um, her legacy, to get the school, to get her diary so they could be free together. And it turns out that the wife was behind it, the wife husband behind it, and that he didn't really die. Um, he rises up from the bathtub at the end. She dies of shock, takes out these things from his eyes to reveal that it was a fake. And there's a really cool bit at the end when the kid that... There's this kid that had supposedly seen... Um, him earlier, which is like this was me like, I've seen the principal, they're like, the principal's dead, but I've seen him. Um, the kid's just like, I've seen Mrs. Like, but she's dead. You're like, oh, is she dead? And then it cuts to this great little ties of card because you've seen the movie. Don't be devils, don't spoil it for someone else, which is just great. Love it so much. Yeah, this really, I think, predates uh, 
you can tell it predates the internet because people still care. Mm. Like, yes, Albert, you can tell this 1955 movie predates no, the only, I was just trying to say about you know the etiquette of spoilers of any. It doesn't matter. Yeah, um, but so yeah, so it's it's definitely it's definitely like a very kind of slow burning, tense thriller kind of thing, mm. um, and it really trades heavily on the powers of suggestion as both films yes. do. Um, but I have like a lot of questions for you and about like what you thought about this film um so first of all did you like did you how surprising was the twist for you because like, for me it was like incredibly obvious that was all gonna happen um it's for me it's one of those thrillers where the kind of thing is there is a degree of like not quite dramatic irony you're not supposed to know but there is the degree of like watching it dawn to the characters which i was really like um but there are several twists in the film and i thought the the midway one was complete surprise to me um the the body was gone i thought was just wonderful i was not expecting that at all like, was was that a twist that you were expecting or not expecting sorry which one the, the one where they can't find the body or w- when, though, when they empty the pool and there's just no body yeah i mean for, okay that I, I didn't see that specific thing coming but i just knew the sort of vagaries of the of what was going on that it was his mystery that, that was the case of i knew something was yeah. up and i was like oh what a really cool way things i just i just love that sequence in general of just like the growing tension of we've just it was just so great because so many movies are like all right we killed someone and we got over body um and like don't explore this like weird middle ground of like them waiting for the body to be discovered which is wonderful like them looking out of the windows being like i'm gonna stare at it there's that bit when the pool person goes up to rake at the pool and like she stops a lesson for a bit and he just finds a newspaper and yeah. walks off and all those little bits were amazing and i was just like i've not really seen a movie that does this and i love that little kind of like space that explored for a while and then they did empty the pool and there was just no body in there just for me i like i i, I didn't like the characters as, as characters like as people or whatever but i was entertained by their like little like dynamic so i was like oh man i can't see how you deal with this with the like sudden like uh-oh what's going wrong here and then when the jacket turned up i was like oh that's so cool um and there's little things i was like i know it's gonna happen like when they line up for a photograph you're like uh, he's gonna pop in the photograph and it does that stuff and like I don't know, like, did you ever, because I think audiences at the time, the reason this is, like, categorised someone as a horror film, I think audiences at the time kind of thought it was, there was a supernatural element. At any point did you think there was a supernatural element going on? Yes. And I would... Really? I know that did sounds, it, okay. like, given what I've said about the fact that I thought, that I thought the twist was a bit obvious, um, I thought the sort of general, like, atmosphere of the film was that's where it was going, you know? Hmm. I think it's doing that on purpose. I think this is like, I, I, I love it. I thought it was great. And I think why it's so good is it's just such a perfect piece of audience manipulation of it does give you everything, but it's very good at kind of like hiding certain bits or putting bits in a different order. And like a perfect example of that is um, when the doctors go to see her and they drive off and they have this random conversation that's your first clue of being like, wait a minute, because they talk about how like, oh, she could just come die at a hospital. And that's when you realise that that there is that sense of like there is a plan going on here that they want her to die and that conversation like makes sense completely afterwards so i like the way that it all comes together and like yeah the the, the end twist that the dude was alive along is is silly um but it's cool yeah it is it is cool i think what's the most cool about it is like the small moments that you just alluded to the like mm. kind of um things which aren't quite right um and like the implications of that but like the actual plot, I think I'm gonna. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a, 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 the biggest fan of. I just, lo- I just loved it. I was not expecting to, and like I'm, I'm like hot and cold on some of these thriller stuff. for just like pure thriller, thriller. Um, but for me, I, I guess like I think I've watched like more suspense movies and like movies of this era than you, perhaps. One hundred percent. Yes. In this yeah, movie, definitely. Yeah. In this movie, I was just like, oh, this is where this comes from. This comes from. I was like all thrillers afterwards are in this film so for me it was like damn like this 1955 like yeah it looks like from 1955 but in like in terms of like plotting in suspense like it is on par with anything like really since i think it was just like such a really great little twister that i mean hitchcock literally wished that he had made it and like de palma could not do something as, as good as this and it would just be ridiculous if de palma made it so like and I, I had seen some clues on movies before um, and I, I liked them i think you would quite like le corbeau um which got him banned from filmmaking for a while. What's in that film? <laughs> um, oh, God. So he made a movie in the 40s, Le Corbeau, in, during the war. 
Um, so he made a film during the war. So this is not like I mean, it's not as amazing as uh, Rome Open City, like which is like a film, an anti-fascist film made under fascist occupation um, secretly. So that's on the even cooler end of things. But like Le Corbeau is a film made during the war about it is a very thinly veiled metaphor for um, complicity and of like ratting people out and is very clearly about um, collaboration with the Nazis <laughs> and is so overtly critical of that and he was banned from making films because apparently he was damaging morale with his film that was so clearly against um, the political state of France yeah. at that time and it is, it is a movie about it like a, and it also deals with things like abortion and the like which were topics that should not be talked about in film but it's about someone who basically someone is sending out poison pen letters and ruining lives um, which was a thing that was encouraged at the time um, by the occupying and like collaborating forces in France of like you would send like letters and snitch on people and this is a film being like this is bad don't collaborate don't do this stuff like be out it's like it was a push for like decency in a way that was so clearly critical of the powers that be and um, he also did um, Le Quai d'Orfèvre which I've seen which is really good um, Le Prisonnier which is really good his most famous film is Wages of Fear which I've seen the remake of um, Sorcerer um, the William Friedkin mm -hmm. movie and I also watched a documentary about him yesterday yeah um, because he was supposed to be making a film called Inferno and now there is a movie that exists called Cluzo's Inferno which is a documentary about the film that wasn't um, the documentary is okay but it's like that movie Albert <laughs> looks like it was going to be either a spectacular success or a spectacular failure um, did you watch Hodorowski's Dune that documentary? Hodorowski's what? Hodorowski's Dune the documentary about the Dune oh, oh, film sorry. that Hodorowski yes, almost yeah, made I have seen that, yeah yeah, it's very much like that, as you're like, man, this movie was never going to exist, but holy crap, does it look cool. <laughs> um, which is really interesting, because, like, Inferno, the film that he was going to make, was full of just, like, the things that he was doing in there, of, like... Oh, it, they gave him an unlimited budget. Um, they literally, like, the studio just said, budget unlimited. But it wasn't for... And it was it was still a very small production. It wasn't for, a, for like, crazy big scale. They were just like, if you do as much screen testing as they wanted... So he's just spent, like so much money on just experimenting with films trying to work things out and, and everyone that worked on it was like we never had a chance to do this before we never just allowed to just like mess around and invent new things like he once had these dream sequences where a river or a lake just turned red so he filmed it using weird colour correction stuff and he had to make up all the actors in different contrasting colours so only one element of the screen would change colour right yeah that, that does sound like it was ahead of its time and then there's just all kinds of weird inventing stuff around it and the film never existed and never went to anywhere because of all kinds of reasons. So, like, it's interesting that Clouseau was, like, slated by his um, successors in the new wave as being this traditionalist and then he was going to make this film that would have, like, proved them all wrong but then didn't make this film. Um, but to go back to um, Diabolique, you're right, this is, a this is a traditionalist film. So I have this a is second a... question. Sorry, this is, this is very much yeah. uh, about what you're about to say with me, I assume. Um, do you actually think that the husband was made out to be as much of a villain as you sort of implied at the beginning of this podcast? Yeah, really? he was horrible. The ending, like no, but that's but that's judging it by our like contemporary standards. I think if I was a person watching it in the fifties, I would have gone away from that, thinking that like um, he was fine. No, but that's, that's, that's the cleverness of the title, I think, why the French title is better, of you go in Les Dabaliques, The Devils, and you're like, these two women are the devils, and then at the end it's like, no, it was those two, because it's supposed to be about, like... Oh, it, I see, it, I see. Yeah, explores, yeah, okay. It explores, like, the guilt over killing this person, and I think it does make you realise at the end that he is a monster, and I, I agree with you that, like, to us he's a contemporary monster the whole way through, um, but I feel like the amount of gaslighting and, like, suspicion and twisting, at the end you're like, man, this guy is the worst. Um, and then I think, like, a French audience would be like, or the audience at the time would be like, oh, that actually was slightly foreshadowed at the beginning. So for me that really works, of the... I think he stands up to us today as being like... I mean, but he is, like... he To me, he is this... Because I, I bought the Criterion copy of this, and it's got a lovely essay at the beginning of it. It says how it sets up his character as the classic kind of, you want to see this person get killed, and then he does, and then it twists that. And I think that's what it's going for. Of uh, This guy's just like, oh, this guy's annoying. And like the way that he treats her 
just before she kills him, like when he just hits her. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, that's obviously pretty terrible. I'm just saying that, like, I was worried that maybe it wasn't doing enough. Um, but yeah, he refuses to feed children. Okay, He's like a modern day conservative. No, wait, does he refuse? I, th- I swear he was just like feeding them some trash rather than. He sends them out before their because f- their food doesn't arrive, and he just goes no. He oh, sends right. them all out to not he doesn't even yeah. let them he is serving them trash and then doesn't even give them the trash and like he's like rationing his staff to like a token two glasses of wine of bad wine a night and they're like please give a bit more and he's like are you in your second glass okay he's a bit boorish like, okay yeah fine but and he's flaunting his mistress in front of everybody yeah yeah, yeah. Well, well actually no when i first saw that i just thought it was just like a very french film it's just like the, the two people were talking to each other i was like oh yeah okay fair enough that makes sense. But, but then the kids talk about it. The kids are like, well, he can do it, so we can't we? So we even see. I, I like the way the children are using this film. Like, as the, the, as the moral like eyes, the innocent moral eyes. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because like we see them like being corrupted by it and then being like, if he could have girls, I want girls all the time. We're like, no, this guy, keep away from the children, kill him, kill him again. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. Like, it's, I still think it's a bit. Yeah, obviously, it's a film made in the 50s, so it's not going to be. Mm. Yeah. Pre internet, sure, as we've sure, and it's quite heavy on the religious, on the religious imagery, and really the film called The Devils. But you know what I mean, like <laughs> the the sort of would would you call the um his wife the protagonist? I guess so, maybe. Yeah, yeah she's yeah, a yeah, protagonist. Totally. Um, uh, you've got this whole agonized morality thing that's very Catholic. Mm. Um, I assume, yeah, it is PTE icon and like all that stuff. Um, so I don't know. I just thought it was very, very kind of, um, yeah, just very traditional. Um, but did you know that the the wife is his wife, the director's oh, wife? I didn't know that. Um, and she died soon after oh, the film. Of and she died in a very similar kind of way to this film. Like she like just like died tragically of like kind of like like emotional like distress, kind of like shock induced kind of stuff, like really tragically, wow. suddenly. Okay. Mm. Oh, that's actually kind of terrible um so yeah i don't know like yeah do, do you agree or do you not agree that it is very both in its like film making technique obviously it's very by the book i think apart from i don't know if i agree because i think it just it, so much of it looks so beautiful like the use of like i mean i've been watching so many films from this era at the moment and before because i've been like a real quick of like really old film um and like so many films are in black and white by default because that's what you you have but the way that like darkness and light is used in this film the way that certain things are like illuminated or silhouetted is just really beautiful there's some like striking things and also like the opening of the film is so i watched the beginning of it again and it opens by showing you just this pool of murky water which kind of sets the tone for the murkiness and you realize oh that's the swimming pool from later it has lots of little corvids and there's so much water coming back in the movie there's motif of water that runs away for it there are lots of little touches that i think that are easy to overlook because it's constrained by some of the well that's what i'm saying it's like time it's, it's beautiful and adventurous within the parameters of a filmmaking way mode that was on its way out right is what i was trying to say basically yeah i mean yeah i mean that, that is true and it's yes just, it you did know, set up and yes it did set up a whole bunch of films after it which are mm. revolutionary like psycho and um, some of the other ones you mentioned um but it's the, the film itself i don't think is as a, much of a landmark film as the hitchhock mm. films i don't know how you feel about that but like yeah because i I've, I've watched quite a lot of his like early films recently and like you know and the films like major on this part like the pre-war um like spy ones um and the like and like you know i do like that one where he kills a kid on a bus that one's so hardcore Okay. Which he said he regrets, um, but that was the best bit of that movie. Because <laughs> I forget this. I think that's sabotage, isn't it? Um, when it's the this kid has to drop a bomb for someone, doesn't know that his dad's giving him a bomb, and um, the kid gets delayed in traffic, and the bomb goes off and just kills the kid. <laughs> oh god. Okay. <laughs> and um, Hitchcock said that yeah, like if he was to remember that movie, he wouldn't do that because he said there is no. He said like. There is no like suspense in the bomb going off. Like the art of suspense is the bomb being saved and it being averted. It's like, yeah, I should have done that. It's like, no, disagree. Best bit of that movie. Um, so anyway, um, I, I don't know. I I also, just going back Hitchcock... to the like landmark films thing, I really don't think it stands up as well as like Peeping Tom, the other film that we reviewed, which is mm. very much a. Uh... Okay, that's a really good point. Yeah, I like do you that. know what yeah. I mean? Okay. And the reason for that, for me mm. personally, was that 
I don't think it was scary, this film. I don't think it had any psychological, like, sort of... It wasn't playing the psychological tricks like Beauty and the Tom was, for me. No. I don't know mm. if that's what I think, Actually, that's, that's a very good point. I don't think there is any kind of, like... The, I think it's that the, the cinematographer in the filmmaking is not doing anything to add anything outside of the story. It is there to tell the narrative the whole way, and it's not there to, like, um, mirror emotion or to mirror interiority. This is a story of Absolutely. exteriority exactly. the whole way through. That's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, mm. I agree with that. Um, and but usually I'm not a fan of that, but I just I just was totally I just thought the story of this was really compelling. It was just a really fun, twisty movie that twisted in fun ways and was just very well acted and very well told. And occasionally I have a lot of time for just a this was a fun story that was very well done. Um, and I love the detective character. I I think for me I liked the way that it was just like it kept introducing new genres and then twisting them. So I feel that yes, the filmmaking is traditionalist, but I feel the script writing is very kind of like has lots of postmodern twists that I think filmmaking would catch up with later. Maybe a better version of the film would have both ends of that equation. Yeah. Although a truly postmodern take would be to completely go nuts with something like this. But um, well, that's where Brian Brian De Palma comes in. Of like, yeah. there is a like you've got a film like Sisters. Like this could be Sisters, and this is a movie I don't like very much. So Brian De Palma would take this and just go bam, and you're like, okay, what yeah. the hell? Yeah. I mean, yeah. To be fair, like Brian De Palma did make a movie like this. It's Sisters. Right. It's ridiculous. Um, so, but I guess you know mm. he did. I guess Cluzo did what he could uh, to really be a bit avant-garde. Um, yeah. So okay, I'll give that to him. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's you feel like you're in safe hands, and I feel that is a critique and a praise. This is a very like safe hands, well done movie, really entertaining the whole way through. Um, I I think we should give it more credit for being, for me at least, a gripping thriller from 1955. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that I'll agree with. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Which is because I, I, I've watched so many films recently, being like, "Well, this is kind of exciting," but for the forties slash fifties, I guess that's great. And occasionally, watch a film and go, "Actually, no, this resets my expectations. That it could be better. It could be more engaging." Um, so that's um, Lido Bali. Anything else about Lido Bali? Um, yeah. What was the scariest? Like, we should mention that we're recording on Halloween, right? We are on Halloween because this film is supposed to be a proto horror, and this one was not a horror. That's what I was going to say. Did you find any part scary? I. I no, not at all. I found it deliriously fun. Photo a bit creepy. That's literally it. That's that. That's why. <laughs> for me, that that was it. Um, I mean, my mouth was pretty much open for the last twenty minutes of being like, "Oh man, this is great!" And I loved. I think this the sequence at the end where she goes to one room and he's not in that room and like the piano's yeah, being I played, but like the typewriter's being gone. Yeah. And it zooms in on the typewriter and it's got that like pre-shining, just got like mess of just like his name on it that stuff is amazing and then she comes back and he rides out the bathtub oh yeah. terrific yeah and I guess the eye thing that. is kind of, kind of creepy until you realise what it is but then yeah mm. Mm. and actually the, the very end was kind of like a delightful like such a like you've seen every horror movie do that since of the implying a twist that's not in the film um, which is like how pretty much every horror movie yeah, ends true. now of being like Oh, it's not really yeah. over. That was terrific. He's, he's setting up for a franchise, Cluzo. <laughs> but but that's the really good. Like, how this movie tells its plot is brilliant. Like I actually, because I agree with you that bits of it predictable, but I think it plays with predictability really nicely by keeping just enough ambiguity. Like when that kid's just like, I've seen the principal, and you're like, oh, you probably have though. But then they pick the right kid to say that they pick the kid that's got in trouble for lying for that we know is the fantasist you're like yeah it introduces just enough doubt at every turn i think that is Mm. that is good but i'd say that's i just think that's so textbook that's like it's a very like uh way of making a film where you where you write everything down and make sure it's like watertight okay cool but as a film it's like as, as an experience like experiential thing Right, I don't think it, it works as well. Can you critique films being too textbook when they are the films that the textbooks come from? That's a very good question. I have no idea. I have no idea how to answer that. Um, yeah. Neither do I. Um... <laughs> I think that's quite a big question. It's probably like, uh, yeah. Um, so, okay, cool. So, just vague sort of um, summary of opinion on Diabolique. Um, um, oh, it rules. It rules. Okay. I think solid. And a textbook, yeah. but um, fundamentally mm. just fell a bit short for me as a Halloween film. Sorry. Uh, yes, yes, it's a Halloween <laughs> film. Um, if I, you know, I thought it was, it was, it was 
I I picked it because I bought it from the Halloween sale from okay. Criterion. So I was like, therefore, Halloween movie. It's a fun thriller. It's a don't watch it yeah. on Halloween. Um, it's got the devil in it, but it doesn't even have the devil in it. If you're going to watch a film called The Devils on Halloween, watch, watch the, the other devils. devils. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also, just watch <laughs> the other devils. Um, I mean, to be fair, I think these these are films that don't really serve each other. Served in like corporations. So do you want to give a, a reductive? Um, star rating for double league no, let's do it at the end because I, I think okay, there's still plenty to say just comparatively um, even, okay. I'm going to start okay. off with the cinematography um, so I think Blair Witch and Diabolique actually have quite a lot in common cinematographically speaking um, and that's partly to do with the fact that Blair Witch was shot on like some low grade you know VHS stuff um, yeah, it's a mix of 60 mil and, and um, home, home VHS. Yeah, exactly. So, um, no, but the key point about that is they both they're both a bit crummy on the dy- dynamic range, which makes the the images very kind of like crushed. So you see a lot of blacks, mm. a lot of like really deep blacks where they really shouldn't be, which obviously adds to the atmosphere. Um, yeah, I think it is it, it, used exactly, really well. That's exactly. And and in Blair Witch, that's and a, Blair Witch, like when you start, oh, yeah. I don't know, uh, just watch both films and you'll see what I mean. They, they, they look yeah, that's very really interesting. for me like that's kind of mm. yeah so but, but for different reasons one is one is because it's old um, and they didn't have that much dynamic range in 1955 yeah. and the other ones because they chose the equipment that they chose um, but obviously that's become a staple for horror so I guess that's pretty iconic so yeah so the the Blair Witch Project is a film that does need introduction, I feel, um, because it is it's such an iconic, f- despite not being that old, like it's it's twenty one years old now, um, but it has become like like a holy text of horror, like one of the true like modern like genre changing films, um, and like I don't know, what, having not seen it before, what what did you know about it? I vaguely remember the marketing campaign, which was that mm, yeah, the that... actors were presumed missing. But I think if if I'd been slightly naive about cinematic history, and if someone had told me about um, Cannibal Holocaust, then I would not have been duped by that marketing campaign in the way that I was when I was like a teenager or whatever. So. Yeah, because I think I think it's what I was saying. People were duped by this marketing campaign. Like it was an absolutely brilliant marketing campaign um, because they. In- this was a really interesting period in cinema and in kind of like art in general. It's the same kind of like period that things like Lost were coming out of, where mythology around film and TV started being a really big thing. Of like your like law bible for your show of let's have a world. I or guess something. The, the impact and, of the internet should also be mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. It's like that kind of like collective world building and trying to get outer engagement because previously the film was the film, yeah. and now it's like we can weaponize community Fandoms. around a film. Fandoms. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Ah, and. This film works because of that for me. Of like, they invented a mythology completely, but they um, seeded it in reality before making the film, which is just majestic. To the extent that the actors in this film thought it was based on a real myth. Interesting. Okay, was that because? Oh, I didn't know that. I thought I thought they conceived which is... it, or was that the writers and directors? No, it is. We'll get to the writing process later because the writing process is fascinating. So the actors in it knew they were in a film, obviously, and they knew the film was fake. But they thought it was a fake twist on a real myth. They thought it was like a, just a folkloric uh, tale because it sounds yeah, like sure, it could yeah. be. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of like Salem-inspired things in the in the north, uh, in the yeah. east. Yes. So, so the premise of the Blair Witch Project is that these three kids, three film students, I mean, well, they are like film students, they're, they're like film aficionados that with like other jobs, and I think they are actually, I'm not quite sure. Um, purposefully, like, you're not giving much like life to them. Um, they decide they're going to make a documentary, um, which is why all of it is found footage. Um, and I'm not a big found footage fan, we'll talk about the genre later, because welcome to, this is my like, legend main, let's talk about horror movies for a while. Um, so a found footage film to work needs to have a premise for why the cameras are going the whole time which is why a lot of found footage doesn't work. It's why paranormal activity falls completely flat. You're like, well, t- goddamn camera. I completely this. agree. Like, this is only and here that, to make... But to I think that, that's a big criticism of this film as well. It's like, when... Oh, I okay, I disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, though I agreed the first time I watched it, so that'll be an interesting conversation. Um, so this film gets its way for the whole camera stay on by they are making a documentary. So it makes sense that they are filming as much as possible. Um, so... And it swaps between the behind-the-scenes footage. So they are filming, and then it starts off with them like interviewing the like local uh, residents about the Blair Witch, a supposed like witch 
that's lived for centuries that terrorises the locals in, this, in these woods. Um, and the actors were told they were interviewing real people. And they are not. Oh, so those were... Act- okay, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. They're plants. Yeah. Um, they, they are a mix of plants and they are a mix of real people. And because some of them were just like, because if you get asked something, someone's like, uh, yeah, maybe, because some of them are like, yeah, maybe I've heard of it, I know. And then some of them are like, and they yeah, just have totally. A whole backstory like, to reel off of. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I see that now. Um, and that is like what got the actors kind of like involved in the whole thing of being like, we're not really sure what's going on or not, because they thought, again, they were making a fake film around a real thing. And like the first great moment of the film, which is so much of why the film is great for me, is when they're interviewing this lady holding a baby. And she says that, yeah, I don't know about the Blair Witch. And she starts to talk about it. The baby just like starts covering her uh, mouth. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good. And, and it's so key to why all the scares in this film work for me of, it does actually rationally make sense because babies just do that. Like there's enough coincidence that it's like fine, but also maybe it's not. And all the best moments of the film, you're like, that could be a thing, but also it might be something much, much darker. And like with Diabolique, I guess, there's just enough ambiguity to everything that you go, yeah. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's going on. This is clever weird. use of doubtful information. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. Um, mm. So okay. Um, and did you find it genuinely scary at any point? So like, this my history of the Blair Witch Project. So I watched it years ago um, with my I like horror movies and I like my big anti horror movie and I hear this film scary and pff, and I think I watched it in a very kind of like elitist way and like in that very like perniciously masculine way I think which I'm a bit embarrassed about now being like this movie's not oh, scary yeah. whatever and I felt, I felt I was above it and I felt I ruined it for myself that first time I remember watching it being like this is interesting but it's right. kind of boring um, and this time watched it I put it on about midnight last night um, of this idea of like I watched the first 20 minutes go to bed and I just watched it the whole way through just like gripped by it um, and because I got suckered in by the filmmaking this time and being like how clever it was that they were it felt very real at the beginning and I was like academically going I'm seeing how they're making this real but then that academic sense got me an emotional investment and then the last like half an hour I was like it's not a film that when it finished I was scared but in the moment I was like this is scary I do agree I think it's incredibly immersive they could have not have done a better job especially for like the I think it was like 200k they spent on it that's 60k 60K. anyways but yeah very low budget film what it is and you feel like it is actually happening and you know it's it couldn't mm. have done a better job than like your highest end Hollywood like CGI blockbuster thing so that's that is very yeah. impressive very cool but I do have a slight problem with the acting do you think that maybe there was just bits of it where I was like I feel like this is a student project where the line between someone is using like an iPhone for like a project they have to do in like, you know, <laughs> year 10 or whatever. Um, and they put in like yes. two minutes worth of effort into the acting. Um, and it actually is like a real film that you should go out there and watch. There was a few moment, moments, like when when they were screaming, I, when they were like running away, I was like, mm, this is really breaking the like illusion. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I, I kind of agree with you, but then I kind of like... For me, so much of this like weirdly adds to like the the odd verisimilitude of it. That it, there is like a, a weird like accidental rawness to the film, which like comes from its inception. Like this is an unscripted film. Oh really? Okay. Um, this is a thirty six page outline, um, and basically they just got the kids to just walk in the woods, and they were just in contact every now and then to make sure they didn't get lost. And they still get lost occasionally. And apparently, that second when they do that thing, let's walk south, and they end up back. That they, actually happened. That actually happened, and that is them being genuinely upset by that. And the shaking of the tent, which is like the scariest yeah. thing in the film, that was just the director shaking the tent to waking them up, and they didn't know it was going to happen. Ah, that's good. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, okay, no, I think... Was... There is a pernicious element mm-hmm. to it, though, that... Be careful how much you read about this film. Actually, no, do read about it, because there is some manipulative filmmaking here that goes too far. Um, in the same way that Clouseau is apparently quite a, um, a cruel presence behind the camera and overworks right. his actors, one of the things with um, the Clouseau movie is, I forget which of the leads, which of the lead actors, um, in her contract it was to get paid so much to do eight weeks of shooting, and it lasted 16 weeks, and they refused to pay her more than that, um, because that was the contract, and like, Clouseau really stuck by that, and they're like, 
relationship really like degraded across the movie and in that documentary I watched there was a thing that they said that Clouseau liked to work and work and work and work and he liked to break the actors and he said that's where you get the performance there is that kind of like idea at the time um, and that I think is the same in this movie um, they talked about how there's so much footage they did not use because he said like the bullying of um, the main character they were like that was actually very real and we actually cut a lot of it out because it was very uncomfortable yeah. of it was these two guys just ganging up on yeah. this girl and they're like a lot of it was just too much and we had to cut it out of the film and because they, they did things like they would like start dropping their food ration without telling them to try and make them more irritable yeah, yeah. each other and they were trying to like spice up conflict so there is some stuff here that is just like is not cool at all sure okay so it's it's quite exploitative yeah um mm. fine okay so maybe i can be a bit more lenient with the, with the actors then uh, maybe they were not on, i think on she's it. great they, it's good it's just yeah okay yeah and I was very scared, by the way. Just mm, a bit of it's a, it's it's a, a scary movie. Uh, the ending is is yeah one of the most frightening things I've I've seen because uh, there, there is just so much ambiguity to it. Like I have no idea oh, what it means. I read a thing about the ending which was amazing. Which you know when she's just like shouting, "Oh my god, what the fuck is that? What yeah. the fuck is that?" Um, at that point, the camera operator was supposed to pan left to where there was someone dressed as the Blair Witch. Oh, God, okay, yeah. And they didn't, because they forgot, and they never reshot I it. I think that's better. That, I know, that, it's so much yeah. better. Um, right, okay. <laughs> you get to the end of the movie, and you, you never see anything. I actually started watching the sequel, mm -hmm. um, which is abysmal. Oh, um, but, like, it's such a... And it was made by the yeah. distributor, because they were like, we're making a sequel, because this movie made more money than... I think it still has the record for the one ratio of... of so profit. even in absolute terms, it's one of the highest-grossing horror films. Yeah. Mm. 250 mil, which, yeah, which is... In 1999. Dollars. Yeah, that's a, that's a good return. <laughs> yeah, they did, they did so well. Um and so the sequel starts off really interestingly because it has the premise of people watched the first movie and thought it was real because people did um, because they made up this mythology out of this website that all set everyone in and the actors in it thought it was real um, and also it's actually been helped by the fact that the people involved have kind of done nothing since yeah although no I think Joshua like Joshua Leonard maybe has been in a few yes yeah. no, he was in he's in Unsane the Soderbergh movie which is filmed on iPhones which is kind of funny yeah. he's in that um, so he's in yeah, some yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. cool Heather Donahue is being... All right, can we talk about that? The reaction to her in this movie, this movie killed her career. Um, Interesting. Any kind of career she could have, she said how it meant that she could never get anything else. Um, there was such a misogynistic response to her in this film. I just... People were just like... Even in the sequel, there is a, there is a joke in the sequel. They go like, how many... Heather Donahue's does it take to screw a light bulb they go oh my god it's one it's one of like that mocking this idea of like ah oh, a hysterical woman oh, there is this wow. like, level of wow. vitriol yeah. that's, that's leveled at her and that they think that she's just like oh she's screaming all the time whenever and she got nothing out of this at all and has not really been anything since um, and because the film uses the names of the actors they are an extra yes. link to this and there are so many reviews the time be they user or like critic reviews of just being like who's this annoying shouty lady and there are a lot of people who have been like who's this like I, I, I'm going to have to say it because it's like it's true of the time of people being like this person isn't attractive enough and they shout all the time that's a very 1999 take <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. It, it, and it's just um, the garbage leveraged wow. at her this movie is just, it's just horrible I think she's really good yeah, she definitely works as the lead. Like, she yeah, sells yeah, it completely. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so that's so annoying. Um, mm. So okay, and um, yeah, well, I guess we should also talk about some of the films that inspired this. Um, yeah, yeah. So this is like the the, the departed history of the Blair Witch Project. Um, so. The this idea of like found footage. This is this, this film popularized the found footage genre, um, a genre that I don't like, um, which is why I was surprised to like this film so much this time. I was really taken with it. Um, but this film is very much a spiritual successor to a film called Cannibal Holocaust from 1980, which is a film that I have seen at least once, um, maybe <laughs> twice. I forget. Um, How could you forget? I'll be recording How a podcast on it soon. Seems like I a pretty um, memorable film. 
so Cannibal Holocaust is a film I reference a lot because it's just a it's a fun reference point to have. Um, it's a it's a strangely influential movie, um, and you see its influence in as far as there's a shot in Kong Skull Island, the most recent King Kong movie, which is a direct shot of the poster of Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> like it's really weird, like how much strange influence it's had. It's an interesting film um, that is historically worth watching, but is is, is a trash film, um, and it is this first kind of like idea of these people went out somewhere with cameras and this footage is all that was left this, of them. This is what's and... called a Mondo film, right? The Italian yes. rice exploitation. Yes. Okay, cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's the most famous of those. Um, so, <laughs> why this film is conceptually bad, it has a an obviously very racist premise of it's these people going to um, South America to meet the savages. It's the civilized world meets the savage world in a way that's very distasteful the whole way through hang on a second i thought it was um, the complete opposite it, it, it was it was oh it likes right. to think that it is it is, not, it is okay. not yeah um it it flirts that idea and it ruins it so much all the way through that it, all it is is just like it wants to say like maybe we're the real monsters but it only does that in the stupidest ways and it shows the savagery first and the reductiveness first and then it goes to maybe we were cruel afterwards and like the reason I remember this film so much, it has, to my memory, maybe the worst ending line of any film I've ever seen in my life. Which, and maybe I've misremembered this, I hope I have. At the end of the movie, the people that are watching the footage, because it cuts people watching the footage, and goes, I sometimes wonder, who were the real cannibals? Oh, God, okay, yeah, that is bad. <laughs> You're like, um, li- li- the cannibals were lit. What? And that's such, like, a little microcosm of how much this film bungles its everything in it. Um, so the reason why I'd say do not watch this film is the amount of animal cruelty that is in so it. So it got banned because of that in most of the countries it tried to. Also, the director yeah, got arrested, um, I think, for that reason. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. That'd be hilarious. Um, so the animal cruelty, so content warning for description of animal abuse. Um, so a turtle is killed by not having the its um, underbelly cut open. Um, so you just watch that. And there is a monkey that is scalped and has its brain That's taken bad. out. And they did that several times to get the take right. Hmm. <laughs> so this film is unfor- that, 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 that stuff is just unforgivable, um, and it's also just a boring, crappy movie. But why it's fascinating is because the director put in the actors um, that they could reveal that they could yeah, not exactly. appear in public. So he got arrested for a year afterwards. Because yeah. <laughs> so he got brought yeah, up yeah. murder charges. <laughs> And they couldn't get out of them for a bit, and they had to break their contracts to get him. But I think the um, the judge finally said no one could watch this and believe this was actually real, yeah. which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> um, although that does kind of show that the whole Blair Witch thing was not that new, I suppose. No, yeah, it wasn't. And and like the funny thing is, like Heather Donahue, like she's a real person, and her mum for years afterwards got messages of like support and consolation. <laughs> okay. She's like, my daughter is alive. She's an actress in a movie. Jesus Christ. Um, so, like, it's not the first film to do this, but it was the first film to do this to leverage the internet to do this, which I think makes it yeah. much more resonant um, and a much more, like... In, and also, like, it was... It had a, the benefit of being an American film with a wide release, as opposed to this little, like, trash movie, Italian trash yeah. movie. So, like, it could become a zeitgeist in a way that Cannibal Holocaust could not. And it's just a better-made film. Um, like... The VHS aesthetic, as we mentioned, works so well for this movie. Actually, let's go to the found footage thing. You say that you were off put by the made the camera stop. Make your say, case. Say again, sorry. So you were off put by the they're filming all the time. Did I say that? I didn't. That was yeah. off put by it. Um, oh, sorry. No, like no, you sorry. Like, I, I thought you were trying. Okay, got it, got it. Um, yeah, so I found that bit a bit. Um, sorry, I didn't find it very believable that you would have the camera on all the time when you were having these, like, you know, horrific arguments. Um, I guess it kind of makes sense in the context of behind-the-scenes footage, but if it was me, yeah. I probably wouldn't be filming. <laughs> but that's just me. So why I like it is because I think the film weaponizes a mission really well of um, there are a few moments when the shot just ends and she turns off the camera, and those ways are such great ways of building character. And, like, about three times in the movie, it just cuts. And then you have a, I'm sorry about what I said. And the fact that it it shows you some of the arguments. And you're like, oh, you're willing to film this. What are you not willing to film? Sure. Okay. And 
that creates such a great like character building star for me the fact they've weaponized not having yeah. footage and not having footage moments. and this film is about you no, see nothing the lesson of both films this week is using what's not there what's not on screen yeah that's mm. definitely the case which is why the sequel is terrible the sequel is an 18 rated um splatter fest which is not even a found footage movie <laughs> um yeah and it's like the whole point of this film is you don't show yeah. stuff it's the power it's of not like showing that. anything and it's what you think you've seen because um, you see so little and actually the, the, the bit that didn't work for this time weirdly was the ending yeah, yeah but I guess that's because you've seen it once, yeah, sure. exactly yeah. so for me this time the ending was like oh that seemed a bit rushed yeah. out of nowhere and whereas the first time the ending was the one bit yeah, that yeah. did work for me like oh, that's cool that guy's in the corner yeah. I'm scared now um but yeah, it's, it's such an important movie. It's such a cool movie. And I feel like it builds its characters really, really well. It creates a world really well. The history around it is fascinating. Um, the way that people are still occasionally tricked into it. Like, no one thinks it's a real movie anymore. Like a real actual document. People still do think the Blair Witch is a thing. And it's that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Um, can we talk about we... its like history and influence? Not history, sorry. Its influence on later films. And why, yes. you, don't, why you don't um... like the found footage thing as a horror fan yeah I just I don't know I've not seen any others that I particularly like very much and I've like I dabble in them every now and then because for me horror is a way to push themes and characters and messages um, and it, it transcends just being like I'm gonna scare you the scare should be in service of something and this movie I don't know if the scares are particularly that much in service of much but it's so commits to the found footage stuff and it so builds a cohesive world around it, and it feels so singular that it didn't need to be repeated. And every time it's like repeated, it's just diminishing returns, diminishing returns, and it just feels a bit silly. As like it's that kind of thing of like, like uh, Cleo from Five to Seven, the like real time film. You're like, that was brilliant. Don't do that again. I, I sort of agree, and I also think it's I also think it's like a really cheap way to try and make it seem. Mm more real or more like fairy tale where you actually have to put the yes. effort in like I think yeah, I actually feel most found footage stuff feels less except, real yeah, and this yeah I, I know what you mean yeah um, it's the laziest way to do world building oh you know here's a, like a real tape that someone found but actually you have to make the world through that lens being brought to um, Cloverfield is like the worst example of that because yeah I've really hated because that there thing. is so much CGI like what is even the point What's the point of filming it on like a VHS thing when you literally are like, yeah, this is not real? Um, yeah, and it's that idea of being like, commit to a central premise. Like, so many found footage stuff is just like, people just happen to film it. They was like, oh, they're enthusiasts, so they just want yeah. to film. And I'm like, well, just just the simple premise of we're why, making a Why not just be the best kind of enthusiast, which is an actual, you know, film crew? <laughs> so, like. But then but then you're like, oh, now you're ripping off the Blair Witch. So, so by nailing the one way of doing found footage. Yeah. And by it by it having enough distance from Cannibal Holocaust and being actually quite a different film, it was able to catch that lightning in a bottle again. Because Cannibal Holocaust doesn't have like the technological superiority this film does of like it has the aesthetic of you can grab a camera and just film something. Cannibal Holocaust looks like a right. film because they're using film cameras. Yeah. Um, because that's what you had. So I think this it's such an amazing moment. It's I don't you could not remit this again of the the prevalence of home footage, the prevalence of independent film the prevalence of the internet like in its infancy like it was just this perfect time to make this film mm. i think the only comparison actually i mean i'm gonna ask you a question which i know the answer did you see host that just came out no no i haven't um so host is the zoom movie what but i swear there was wasn't there that really really shit film called unfriend um, unfriended. unfriended yeah i was gonna say that yeah so yeah, I, I never saw Unfriended. I did see Searching, which is the drama that's filmed on computer screens, which is which is pretty good. It's fine. Um, but yeah, Host is right, the Zoom okay. movie. <laughs> um, made in, it is, It's impressive because it's made in a, during a pandemic over Zoom. People never met each other. And it's fun. Um, but like, it's it's not <laughs> a great movie. It, it, I had a, like, a really like pernickety complaint of like, you've got to commit so hard and Blowitch commits so hard of like, by oscillating between the different cameras like this is the documentary footage this is the behind the scenes footage that makes sense and like the zoom movie host it's like is there a person in this call that's able to pick just like which evocative camera to change every moment because we've used zoom so much now because the pandemic of zoom changes the camera when someone speaks it doesn't pick what's the scariest person to show right now but yeah good point yeah 
So when they're able to select what image comes up, I'm like, um, I'm sorry, um, I'm supposed to just watching someone's screen. How is there this like dynamic mod you've got to yeah, just like, pick their Yeah, but that's such a pedantic thing to say about it. <laughs> no, but, that, but I don't think it is, because these movies totally rely on we are giving you a verite experience of this is the Zoom film, this is the fan budget film. So if you're not nailing that, it falls Yeah, but okay, it probably is, you know, it's not exactly Zoom in the film. No, it's exactly Zoom. It's Zoom. Okay. It's literally the Zoom interface. It's made all using Zoom, and the credits are done by opening up the who's in the call and scrolling uh, down. Okay, maybe, maybe it is. It is... It is the Zoom film. Um, they talk about Zoom. It's like it, it's, it's that stuff's cool. And like, there's even like a joke in the credit of like the person that's the sound editor. Like his mic is still picking up noise. He's got a little like microphone logo right. next to him in the credit. You're like, that's funny. I like that. That's good. So, commit basically. Commit. Um, one cool bit about Blair Witch I want to talk about actually. Um, the symbology in it, those creepy like witchcraft symbols. Yeah is such a cool idea because of the way it makes you look at the world because it's a recognisable pattern but it's also a thing that could appear randomly in nature and there are so well, many I'm shirts no, I'm going to really push back on this point sorry um, I think they're sort of animate it's like an animist kind of trope isn't it which is usually found amongst cultures in like uh, you know pre-European Native Americans right yeah so, and the association with that being creepy is just a little bit you know what I mean Okay, you know, okay, yeah, no, that, that, that is true. I will, I will um, yeah. Sorry, that really very, very true. But the bit that I liked about it, there's one bit when Heather's like put the camera down, it's looking up, and like just behind her are branches, and like the way the branches are laid out, I'm like, is that the symbol behind her? But probably it's just like branches and stuff. So because like the lack of clarity of the image, you start to, again, you don't know what you're seeing and what you're not seeing in this film, and I'm like, is that a witch symbol behind her or is it just coincidentally that's the branches look like and then it can create that kind of ambiguity I think it's great I mean you're right like this like pagan but I don't know like, it, like, it is like pagan witch mark thing and like witches marks are not like a real thing in the what we think they're for but like this idea of like cult symbology I think is like in the DNA of a lot of like horror film or film well you can't untangle so what I'll say is, first we start off with like the mythology of witchcraft, which is obviously a huge topic. Part of it was political, yes. I think. Come on, like there's absolutely no way you can't really see it that way. And on so many different levels, yeah. on a misogynistic level, obviously, but also on a yeah, literal yeah, yeah, yeah. religion against religion level, because a lot of the Eastern European like witchcraft memes, uh, memes, not memes, I guess are really about. Um, trying to eradicate pagan culture when like um, mm. the orthodox and teutonic knights were trying to clear the area basically um anyway so that's that's a little bit of yeah I, th I think you're right to an extent like making up a mythology is just like there is that degree of just like just random ignorance of them just like playing around just doing stuff because they think they can do stuff and there is there is some thoughtlessness there i agree um but it, it is it is a cool piece of art design it's like yeah if you saw it if you walked home and you saw that hanging in your house, you'd be creeped I out. I would be creeped out. But I'd also think about what mm. Blair Witch is in, so. <laughs> <laughs> I like as the Blair Witch just sneaking up on you to and go, actually, this is quite a quite a loaded symbol. And I think the fact that you're using it, Blair Witch, is actually quite offensive. And she'd be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Have you seen my movie? <laughs> I like to think the Blair Witch is very polite. All right, um, so do you want to mention sorry. a horror film that you've seen recently which has scared you? What was the creepiest um, film you've seen? Well, I watched a film called Creepy this week, oh. um, but <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Kiro Kiyoshi Kurosawa movies, because um, I'm, I'm a big, like, J-Hurrant nut. Um, actually, I guess I watched Pulse, which is a, a 2000 movie that was was nice and creepy. But actually, I did watch uh, a, a new horror movie, um, actually a yet-to-be-released horror movie, because I watched it um, at the London Film Festival, um, virtually. Um, Bra so you, you know David Cronenberg. Yeah. His son, Bradham Cronenberg, makes movies ah. now. Um, he made one movie called Antiviral which is fine and his new movie Possessor which you can read a, a review of on my blog assaultedopinions.home.blog that blog again assaultedopinions.home.blog oh my god his new movie Possessor is amazing does it have the same Cronenberg like nuttiness it, it is like you know how Cronenberg doesn't make those movies oh, anymore okay. 
So now the new Cronenberg does. Cool, cool, cool. The the premise of this movie, it's a, it's a kick-ass premise, is um, there's this kind of... It's like, did you play the video game Super Hot? No, I can't say I have. Oh, God, that game's so good. Um, so there is a technology which means that spies or whatever can hack into people's bodies yeah. and become them, and they are using them to assassinate people. Okay. Um, cool. Um, and it, but what the film is, it's a body horror film, but the body horror is the horror of being in a body and not feeling at home in your own body and not, and it uses the metaphor of because she becomes other people, she loses like a sense of selfhood and she gets, she feels so attuned to playing other people, she realizes that her own life is actually performance and she feels like in her own skin, out of her own skin and more comfortable other people. So there's some really interesting ideas about like autonomy, identity and the mind-body divide that are fascinating and it's unbelievably violent. Okay. That does sound very interesting. Mm. It's really good. Um, have you seen that new film about nuns? Um, yeah, I did see that. I'm one of the few people that doesn't like it very much. I think it it's good. Again? I think it's great. Saint Maud. Uh, Saint, Saint Maud. Maud. Yeah, okay. yeah, I did see that. I was not. Again, you can read my review of it on, on the blog. I saw it opinions.home.blog. Um, I thought it was very, very cool and promising, but I thought it was constantly reaching towards things and then not quite getting anywhere. And it just like threw a lot of ideas out there and didn't really kind of like land any of them. Um, but the performance is brilliant and it's a beautiful film. I just thought it was a aesthetic overload in that kind of like elevated horror sense of being like, oh, it looks so nice, but there's there's not really much. There isn't like a, there wasn't a core for me. It was like here's some kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's a shame. so not as disciplined as Blair Witch. Okay. Um, no, no, definitely not. Um, but they're very different. Like Blair Witch is not trying to be like a philosophical emotional horror. It's trying to be just like just scare yeah. your pants off. Um, but sometimes, like, that works better. Mm. So, should we Let's get reductive? Um, you go first. Um, so, uh, you're going to be really disappointed in me. I think I'm probably going to give... Can I, can I guess yeah, your yeah, rating? I think that's more fun. I think you are... And then you guess mine. I think you're going to give three stars to um, Diabolique. Too high. I'm going to give it a two. <gasps> no! I just, I don't know, it really didn't do, like, a lot for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I forget that you're rating these films on, like, a scale of all films are good. <laughs> Whereas I feel that I'm rating these on a scale of I watch some absolute trash. Okay, it wasn't complete trash, um, hence the two. But, like, I don't know, like, it just... Maybe you built me up, like, too too much for it, you know? Like, maybe I just maybe got in cold. Was... Uh, oh god well that changes things because I was going to say it was going to be a 3 and a 4 so is it a 2 and a 3 no I think I can still give uh, Blair Witch a 4 I think that's fair mm. um, yeah. yeah it was very a very effective film um, with an A uh, so I think um, yeah definitely deserves a 4 yeah okay cool guess mine yeah I think Blair Witch is also going to get a 4 uh yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. It's like it's. I don't think it's. A, it's, it's not like a constant yeah. kind of movie, but for what it does, I think it's brilliant. Um, and three. And I'm a, I'm a four and I believe. I think both of them for me are examples stars. of these aren't 100 percent me films, but they are really good at the little genre they're doing. Like that is like that's a suspense movie. Well done. Applause, applause. This is a scary movie. Well done. Mm -hmm. Applause, applause. You were trying to do something, you did it, well done. Enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, they both set out to, to do what they were hoping to do. So yeah, I, I get that. Um, it's just, do I want to be inside, you know, do I want to escape in that particular world? Um, <laughs> one of these films, I'm saying no. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you liked Blair Witch. What, what were you expecting? No, not at all, because like, I don't think... Oh, yeah, awesome. we just really introduced my horror sort of habits, which are basically none. Mm. Um, I almost never watch horror film. Um, Why? I don't, like, I don't know why, actually. I was going to say something, but I don't think it's true anymore. So, like, yeah. Maybe because I was, like, uh, just get scared easily or whatever. But I don't think that's true. Um, maybe I should watch more. Yeah. Mm. I've got a lot to catch up on. I mean, my partner Emma is, is as I mean, I mean, you know, I'm introducing her to the audience. I mean, you know Emma, um, but um, like she, she is the same. Of like, she, there are horror movies that she loves, but she's not a horror <laughs> movie person. Like, 
we saw Get Out and like Get Out is still one of her favourite movies but she uses that as an example of there are some horror movies that she thinks are excellent and there are but it doesn't mean that she's like you know what, I'm going to add one more thing and I'll see if you agree I also think some of the production is a bit cheap on some horror films like not cheap as in I mean, like yeah, money spent but just like pastiche like just really like I don't know yeah it doesn't push the envelope I mean, friend of the podcast and friend of both of us, uh, Faith Westlake, who is also like a, a horror aficionado with me. We are like big, big horror stands. Um, she often says that horror is like her favorite genre, but it has the biggest, like, most of it is bad. That, most that's horror kind is of bad. Where I was going with that, yeah. Which is true. Like, I, I hate most horror movies, but I love horror movies because when they are good, they are better than anything. Right, okay. The potential of the genre is everything for me. And, like, when it's like. Using fear to explore ideas for me is the best way to explore ideas. Yeah, and I yeah. Also, I just feel like the tropes. Obviously, this is going to be a really obvious thing to say, but you know, a lot of them have been used up, and it's just kind of recycled. But obviously, when there is a twist on that and it works, then that is awesome. So, I mean, it's like, did you see It Follows? Uh, is that the STD film? Yeah. yeah okay. Yes. Yeah, I think I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, because that was a really good movie, but um, like David Robert Mitchell, who made that film, is not a horror movie person, doesn't like them really, and just wanted to make one. And he was so surprised about the like level of like analytical detail people read his right. film with. And because people read it as being like, like a regressive, very like um, sex negative film, which if you read it like in that lens, it is. Because people would like underestimate the horror audience, and the horror audience are always out there looking for like extreme metaphors and weirdness, and people like to play in the horror space occasionally, and they're just like, they're like, why do people look at my movie so much? I just made a fun, like, twisty tiny horror movie. And, like, he was just, it was interesting to me how surprised he was that people started to analyse and tear apart and look for symbology in a film that he just thought was going to be, like, a just a thriller. Yeah, I guess people don't expect... Well, or they, they do expect that much. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. The horror audience is really interesting. It's such a weird, like, dedicated, like, genre crowd um, of just, like, weird right, obsessors. right, right. Which is varied, but you know, something, something local. Cool. Um, so that's our two films this week. Yeah, two, two, two Halloween spook 'em ups, or well, one Halloween spook 'em up, and one suspense movie. <laughs> and um, so yeah, I'm going to insert this into the order. Um, so the next episode, I think people will hear Albert is um, our Kubrick Spielberg off after this. So get ready for because um, there's been a trend recently of like me defending films and you criticising them so get ready for maybe the other way around sure sure sure, sure. yeah um, so that'll be a fun one and then we'll be back uh, in the future with more episodes so thank you very much Alan. thank you Stephen and um, love to talk to you as always and we'll see you next time bye goodbye <laughs>